um, that everybody gave last weekend when I was with my sister Corey. We had a really amazing time, and I was just so thankful to the Lord. He really was making it smooth for us because a lot of things in my sister Corey's life have not been smooth and just every step of every little thing for her seems to go wrong. So it was just so good to have the presence of the Lord going before us and making that way for us. So thank you. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about Steiger because I know that I haven't been able to share um, probably as much as you would like and I could probably talk for an hour and not be done but I have a little two-minute video that Don is going to share for us up here and just kind of explains what is Steiger so let's watch that you're gonna have to hit I think. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, just to kind of summarize um, what I want to share this morning, uh, I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 2, and you can follow along if you want to, but um, <clears throat> starting with verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. <clears throat> and the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So this is what I want to bring to my friends, to um, my generation, and those that follow, because they're not stepping into a church anymore because even their parents aren't stepping into a church. So uh, continuing with that, but jump back a little bit in the chapter if you're following along, First John chapter 2. <clears throat> um, it says, verse 7, um, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its, tr its truth is seen in him and in you, because darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So, Steiger exists um, because they felt that there was a disconnect between the church and the kids that are going to the club every night. And so we exist as kind of like a bridge between those two cultures. And this up here <laughs> is what you can do for me while I'm there in Germany doing a training so that I can be on staff with them here in Minneapolis. So I have some questions and it. it's kind of cut off on the slide, but it's on a prayer card that I made, which I can pass out later. Um, it says, how can I and the Steiger team serve Minneapolis best? How does music, writing, Chinese, and missions mix for me? You all know me pretty well. That's what I breathe off of. So, How does my employment look to God? Are there any changes he wants me to make? And then pray for health, fun, and safety while abroad. Um, the next slide, and the other side of this card, just gives you some opportunities to 
get connected. I am going to be giving some short updates on my blog of how things are going and what we're doing while I'm there during these five weeks, and then um, some more information on how to find out more about Stagger or join. So um, I do want to thank everybody who's given um, to this already. I have met my goal, thank the Lord. And um, anything that would be over that, I'm going to use for paying for my guitar to get there with me and uh, for rent. <laughs> so thank you, everybody. Um, and I just want to answer a question of, like, why would we go to, like, um, Steiger often goes to bars or um, street evangelism and festivals. Why do we go there? And the answer that comes to my mind uh, is a lyric from a songwriter that I really love named Sarah Groves. And she wrote in the song, uh, it says, If you're looking for a fence, if you go looking for a fence, you're going to find it. But if you're looking for real love, you're going to find it. So I hope that through this um, and through your support as a church, we can go looking for real love and not for offense. Because a lot of people out there are looking for a fight and they're already prejudging those that they haven't even talked to yet. And um, so I want to switch the goggles and have on my Jesus frames <laughs> and go looking for love so that they can find the true life because this world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God loves forever. So thank you for your support, and I look forward to seeing you in six weeks. I'm looking for Donna Hale. Donna, would you come and stand with me? So what we're going to do, we're going to give Skye a charge, and then she says at the end, I will. And so, uh, and then Skye, in this charge that we're going to give you, uh, we're going to call the church to continue to remember you daily in prayer while you're there. And then I'm going to give you the charge physically to put in your Bible, and every day I want you to take it out and read it while you're on your mission. So this is the charge to Sky. Donna, would you have to stand up here with us? I mean, you can't be down below. You're going to be your, one of the links here. So um, here we go. Here we go here. So in Luke 10, following Jesus sending out of his 12 disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God and perform healing, he sent out 70 others also in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. Today, we are sending you out to Dresden, Germany to proclaim the good news of salvation and healing in Jesus' name. You are to always pray and not lose heart. You are to be faithful to God's word. You are to be a loving and kind team member quick to serve, and quick to forgive. Rejoice that you and your team belong to Jesus. Expect resistance, but love anyway. Bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Do you accept this charge?
Yes. I do. Would you kneel down in front? Would you stand with me, church? Ladies, would you come and gather around, Sky? Yeah, all these ladies. We want this to be a, a, a moment for Sky and for all of us. Lay your hands, ladies, as many hands as you can get on her. Lay your hands on her and one another. This is important. Not only do we want to send out Sky, we want to see her to come back to us as well. So, Donna, would you lead us in prayer? Before we pray, Sky, I, it's just so amazing that here you are, this young lady in this church of um, graceful seniors, grace-filled seniors, hopefully. And anyway, both of the hymns that were chosen today just really spoke to me because they were talking about verse 4 of the first song, God of grace and God of glory, set our feet on lofty places. Yes. Gird our lives that they may be armored with all Christ-like graces in the fight to set men free. And that's what you're doing. You're going out to set men free, men and women. You need wisdom and courage. And, you know, in the Bible it talks about the armor of God. So we pray that for you, that every day you're clothed with that armor of God. As you go to the next hymn, you love to tell the story. Amen. So for all of us older people, you know, these two hymns are our heart for you. Because these are things we know, we relate to. What I see up there, I don't know. I don't even know what a blog is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you are our, our link to that next generation. So thank you so much. Lord God, I just lift up Sky. I thank you so much for her heart. I thank you for her heart. Lord, I thank you for the courage that she has, the courage that you have given to her. Lord, I pray that you instill in her all the wisdom she needs as she deals with both walking in the world as she's trying to walk for you, Lord God. And she does walk for you. But there's a lot of world out there when you look at the proportion. So, Lord God, we just pray your blessing upon her. Each step she takes as she's on that airplane, Lord God, um, in the hotels and motels, on the streets, in all of her training, Lord God. We ask you to bless her and all of her colleagues there, Lord God, that whole team. We thank you for that. Um, we thank you for that vision to reach this generation in a way they can be reached. Like the little video clip said, they're not going to walk into our church. As much as we don't understand that, well, why wouldn't they? But, Lord, they're not. They're not going to walk in. But Sky and others like her can take this very appealing Jesus to them. Yes. So, Lord God, we as women of this church and her sisters pray for her. We ask you to bless her, keep her safe. Provide for everything she needs. And as the men and brothers and fathers in this church, Lord God, we pray that they support her in prayer, support her in every way possible, support her in praying for her protection, as they would pray for their own daughter 
And Lord, we just lift these things to you. Lord, we just uh, we look forward to when she comes home and tells us things. How exciting that's going to be. So Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you. It's a privilege for us as this church, at Many Trista Baptist Church, to be able to have a young woman in our midst willing to go out there. Willing to go out into the yuck of what we, what we look at as yuck. But Lord, they're, your, they're yours too. So Lord God, we thank you for her. Lord, be with her every step. And be with her mom as she's gone too. And bless her in, in Sky's absence. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, this privilege, and we thank you for giving us the girl to do it. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Philippians, the third chapter. And this is the fourth and final of my series, A Compelling Vision, Seeing Something Better. And the foundation for all of this is our church needs to have a compelling vision. And so before I left on the 11th for California, our transition team met on the 11th and then I left on the 12th. And a great work of the Holy Spirit took place in our final meeting. So we've been working these many months. Where are we as a church? Where have we been? And where is God leading us? And so we have many components that we work through. And then the last evening that we came together, we came together for supper. And I had breakout tables around our house and our team had not really seen the whole document compiled together in one time, in one place. They'd seen the different components. And then there was a final chapter that has to deal with recommendations. What do we need to do in order to have a compelling vision as a church? And so they came back after looking at the document and they all said, wow. It was a Holy Spirit moment. Usually in interim work that I do, that's where the fireworks start. That's where the little pushback comes. That's where the little friction comes in place. and That's where it gets a little hot under the collar. But not with us. It was a holy moment. And so we finished that and we forward of the documents to our deacons. And now they get to wrestle with it for a little while. And then they're going to come and they will have a question and answer session with the transition team. And then they will help us to decide what our next steps will be. So I want to tell you, this has been all fitting together. This series about a compelling vision. Not only for us as a congregation, but for you individually, everybody has to have something that puts a click in your step. Something that gets you up in the morning and says, this is going to be a great day. Why? Because where there is vision, there is life. 
And so Sky, as an example, has a vision for her life for these next few weeks. It's going to be intense, Sky. It's going to be intense, but it's going to be good. And it will be life-changing. We heard on the video a compelling vision of taking the gospel to a culture that has no interest in the gospel. So right now, in my lifetime, uh, we have seen the foundation of culture be Judeo-Christian. But then we moved away from Judeo-Christian to a foundation of being secular. And now we have moved away from the foundation of being secular to being a pagan culture. That's where we are right now in America. We are in a pagan culture. And that's exactly where the Apostle Paul was in the New Testament. He was taking the good news of the gospel to a pagan culture. And we're going to hear today from Philippians about this pagan culture. But before I read the scripture, I want to go through where we've been in casting a vision for a compelling vision of seeing something better as a congregation and as individuals for our lives. So I want to take you through just a quick review of what we did. In the first part of a compelling vision, a compelling vision has a cost. And so we are in Second Thessalonians, and prayer is required, writing down the vision is important, running with the vision, inviting others to join you, and be willing to fight for your vision. And then we talked about the example of Chester Carlson. He was a man who had a vision of how to write without writing. Sounds crazy. But he was a patent attorney, and at that point in life, he was copying patents, patents, and patents. But he was also a physicist. And he could not do what he wanted to do because he was bogged down with the clerical side of writing and copying. And so he had a vision, how to write without writing. And from Chester Carlson, we have the photocopier and Xerox, Xerography of writing with um, with dry ink. So that was the example. The second week, we looked at a, a compelling vision involves seeing something better, being convinced of better things. The book of Hebrews is about a better covenant, a better priesthood, a better gospel. And it was about people who wanted to go back to old ways. It was about people that were experiencing adversity and, and uh, persecution in their lives. And they said, you know what? We're going to go back to our old ways and be Jews again. And the writer of Hebrews says, God has something better for us. And every church goes through this, this season that it was always better in the past. And nostalgia always has rose-colored glasses. But it doesn't give you an accurate vision forward. And so in Hebrews, being confident about something better, being hopeful. And then we have the example of Sabina Wurmbrandt, the wife of Richard Wurmbrandt, who were persecuted in Romania after the Second World War. And how in the underground church they were persecuted, went to prison. She went to prison. He went to prison. And then there were some Christians who had a vision for Richard Wurmbrandt and Sabina Wurmbrandt to, to tell the story of the persecuted church to the West. And so they paid 
$10,000 to get Richard Rembrandt out of Romania to the West. And today we have Voice of the Martyrs, a wonderful mission uh, that helps the persecuted church. And out of that vision, there's an annual budget of $40 million that supports the work of Voice of the Martyrs because a woman and a man had a compelling vision. So that was week number two. Week number three, we talked about a compelling vision is both complex and simple. In Ephesians 11, Ephesians 1, there's no 11 chapters in Ephesians. All right. In Ephesians 1, uh, there was this complex prayer that Paul had that talked about the majesty and the complexity of God. And in that, in that he asks us to simply believe that his power is far greater than any other power. And then we gave the example of Genentech, these, these scientists who figured out how to do genetic engineering, molecular genetic engineering, very complex. So we, out of simplicity, can take a pill whether it be for insulin or growth hormones, for cancer treatments. And out of that complexity comes simplicity. So a compelling vision, at first you might say, we can't do this. What Sky is going to go do is very complex. And to see that in a hundred cities around the world today says that not only is the vision complex, it's doable. And so we had that example. So today, I want you to hear the scripture from Philippians. And we're going to talk about a compelling vision that sees, and this is the fourth point, number four, do we have number four up there? Is a compelling vision causes us to reach forward. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians, the third chapter, just a short uh, uh, few verses. Giants eat. Peas and corns. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how you remember where it's at. Giants eat peas and corn. All right, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. The third chapter. Now, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained, attained it, or have already become, I want to read from the NIV, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have I already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of what God, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtain, attained. So in this portion of scripture, I want you to visualize where Philippi was. In 2019, I was on my journey retracing the footsteps of Paul. And in that journey, I was able to go to Philippi, they say. We say Philippi, they say Philippi, in northern Greece. And in this setting, it's, there's these massive walls that were around the ancient city. 
It was a Roman garrison. It was a place that guarded the entrance of Asia Minor into Europe. And so when you go up there, you see these massive hills, and over the plain, you can see Asia Minor, and then the other way, you can see the entrance into Europe. It's a, it's a marvelous place. Uh, it's a place where Lydia was converted. And it was a place where Paul and Silas were beaten and they were thrown in jail. And you can go and see the little jail cell there today in the ruins. But it was Lydia, the scripture says, that God opened her heart. And from that, she opened her home. She opened her home to Paul and Silas. It was from there that Lydia was at a riverside, a little stream, because there were not ten spiritual men to endorse a synagogue in that part of uh, Europe. But God opened Lydia's heart, she opened her home, and it was there because of Lydia the gospel came into all of Europe. Quite a place. And so in this place, Paul wrote to the letters reminding this group of believers to rejoice despite their imperfections among themselves. So they were not a perfect group. But they were a generous group. They were a sending group. And this letter that Paul wrote to them is a joyous letter of thanksgiving for them. In the verses we have read, Paul writes, reaching forward about pressing on and straining forward as though a runner is reaching for the finish line. So you get this image that his desire for them was what was started, that they would be able to finish, and they would be able to finish as victors. What was started in this church in the 1800s, God is not finished. He has other things for us in this next generation. Amen? He does. And so Paul reminds them, and I'm reminding you, that this is a time, in these few verses, to talk about goals. And in effect, he is talking about a compelling vision. So in the end, a compelling vision causes us to reach forward, to maybe to step out of our comfort zones, to step out of what's familiar, to step out to what we prefer, and to say, Lord, I'm listening. Paul says, I have yet to reach my goal. Therefore, I press on. The tense is important here. It's a present active continuous tense. The dioko means to pursue, to chase, to seek after, to run after. And he is telling them, I have not attained it, but I am continually pressing forward for what God has for us. Paul was running to obtain understanding that only comes by following Jesus. You can follow yourself. You can follow your own imaginations. You can run after pleasure and material things. You can run after false teachers. And in the end, they will all lead to emptiness and deception. Or, you can run after follow, pursue after Jesus. And in the end, you will find that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. So the pursuit, as long as he gives us breath, 
as long as He gives us strength, as long as He gives us a new day, the pursuit is Jesus. So not only a compelling vision causes us to stretch forward, it also causes us to stretch. Paul says in a very humble way, I haven't arrived yet. And folks, if you need to hear this confession, I'll give it to you. I have yet to arrive. I have not fully arrived. I'm still on a journey. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll say the same thing about yourself. We have not arrived. Paul had a vision that was both achievable, following Jesus, and one that stretched him. Attaining the resurrection from the dead. To do this, he says, he is forgetting about his past. What was his past? He was a persecutor of the church. He was a zealot for the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he hated the Christian church. Until on that Damascus road, on that horse, he was knocked off and blinded and had an epiphany of who Jesus is. In the past, he had consented to the murder of Stephen. He held their cloaks and their garments while Stephen was stoned. In the past, he had persecuted the early church. In the present lives, he experienced forgiveness. In the present, he is stretching out what is before him. And this is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. It's an active middle voice. We don't have a middle voice in English. The middle voice in the Greek carries the idea that the, the recipient is both the participant and recipient of action. The individual is both the recipient of action and the participant in action. So he is stretching forth means that it's something that was empowering him, but it was also something that was responding inside of him to do it. And we don't have that voice in our language. But in the Greek, it's very rich, it's very real. It means that this stretching, this questing, just isn't something from within ourselves. It comes from above. But then, out of the freedom of our will, we make a choice to say, I too am going to put forward effort in this vision. Being stretched out before the Lord is a little translation, a little translation. So I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you just feel, I can't do any more than I'm doing. And yet the Holy Spirit comes outside and He stretches us out just a little bit more. Carries the idea that He is exerting His effort and God is exerting His effort. A compelling vision requires effort. But more, more than that, the more you step out in faith, the more you find that God will meet you. So a compelling vision is also an upward vision. Verse 14, Paul's gaze is both forward and it is upward. He uses the same word in verse 12, dioko, about pressing on. Then he tells us his goal. I press on under the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. That was his goal. That should be our goal as well. That we want to press onward in the upward calling. 
They were first and foremost called to Christ. I like the expression that my life is hid with God in Christ. And not even the devil can find me. He has no control over me. And I'm first and foremost called to Christ. But in that calling, I could be a pastor, I could be a missionary, I could be a faithful church member, I could be a follower of Christ, I could be a Bible reader. But my first and foremost calling, and your first and foremost calling, is to Christ. Then he'll lead us and tell us what he wants to do with us. There is no higher calling than knowing and following Jesus. I have a little difficulty with Mike Huckabee. Okay? Nice guy. Done lots of good things. Has an entertaining television program. But he gave up the calling of a pastor to become a governor of the state. He gave up the calling of being a pastor to do political commentary. And I can't answer for him. That's how God led him. But I believe our highest calling is to Christ. And when he calls somebody to the ministry, it's irrevocable. And, but that's his choice. But for me, it's a reminder that there is a great prize in my calling to Christ. This is the greatest prize, the greatest reward, the greatest inheritance, the greatest fulfillment in this life and the life to come. This is an upward calling that will lift anyone from the lowest dregs of humanity to the pinnacles of eternal life. Think of it. I think we could tell stories. We could tell stories of testimonies. I have one of them. But I love the story that he took me. And the, the psalmist said, He brought me up out of the miry clay. And he set my foot upon the rock. And he established, and put a song on my mouth, and he established my goings. That is the upward lift of the calling in Christ Jesus. A compelling vision causes us to change, verses 15 and 16. Paul shifts from I to us. Let us, he says in verse 15. He says, let us therefore, as many, are, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal this also to you. He states that the knowledge of Christ in us makes us complete. He notes that God will bring to the light those with differing views. Verse 16 has an extra nugget of truth. Dr. Millard Erickson, one of my professors at Bethel Seminary, said, all good theology starts by paying attention to the little words. And there's a little word that's in here. What does that refer to when he says, let us keep living by that same standard? which we have already reached. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that word, that. The that here refers back to the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. In that one little word is that whole expression of the upward call, calling, the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Never take your eyes off of that. In the end, it is the high calling, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
This is the only thing that matters. And so with that, I want to you to ponder. Do you have a compelling vision for your life? Does this church have a compelling vision for her future? And what examples do you need to draw upon that's going to encourage you to seek the upward calling in Christ Jesus? This past week, I traveled to California to conduct the funeral of my pastor. And I have a picture here, I think. And my pastor, uh, Dr. Ruben Sequeira, is on the far right. And you can see me in the bench below. And then that's my brother, Bob. So you have Bob Hope and Will Hope sitting right next to each other. And then that's my friend, Forrest Brandon, on the left. And we have been schoolboy uh, school friends all the way back when we were 12 years old. And we went through school, college, uh, high school together. We ran track and cross country together. And that was my pastor, um, who is now in glory. He passed at the age of 82. He was a man who lived his life with a compelling vision. At the committal service, I noted for a time that he lived among us as a son, husband, father, father-in-law, grandfather, uncle, loved one, minister, pastor, missionary, professor, colleague, neighbor, and friend. He preached and taught the gospel in 42 countries. Amazing. In July of 2013, I sent my pastor a letter telling him about my struggles about staying in the ministry. I had just returned from a six-week stay in Canada with my brother, another brother, trying to figure out what did God have for me next. It was a time I felt very discouraged in the ministry, and I felt I just wanted to leave. The past two years have been my most challenging. My pastor was praying for me that I would hear afresh God's voice and sense the quickening of his Holy Spirit. During my time in Canada, I attended the First Baptist Church of Charlottetown. Their vision is based upon prayer, love, unity, and using God-gifted abilities for gathering the nations at the foot of the cross. What a great vision. All of their resources, all of their focal point was about gathering the nations at the foot of the cross for Jesus. The first year prayer group at the First Baptist Church of Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, accepted me wounded. I still remember one of the men, when I first went to this prayer group, I didn't tell anybody I was a minister. And this one gentleman came out afterwards, his name is Peter Lyons. And he said to me, Will, are you a minister? And I said, Peter, how did you know? He said, you're walking with a limp. And he says, Jacob also walked with a limb. And he wrestled with God. And it's going to be all right, Will. So this church loved on me, put their arms around me, brought me to God's through God's presence, through their wonderful worship. This congregation has a 175-year history. And yes, there were entrenchment issues in that congregation as well. The pastor, the worship ministry director, have been most remarkable. Most established churches 
would rather harbor their differences than pray through and welcome the next generation with meaningful ministry for today. When I returned to the States, Jackie and I met with a pastor friend and his wife to explore my next steps. I was debating on starting a company or whether or not I should return to the ministry. My friend Betsy said, Will, there's lots of entrepreneurs out there starting companies. There's, there are not a whole lot of people with your passion and gifts in preaching and teaching that can do what you can do. Little did I know that I was on the eve of turning 65 and that a new chapter of ministry was ahead for me and Jackie. In my letter to my pastor, I wrote, I have a story you might enjoy. In 1975, while at Sandra in my home church and in my first year at Golden Gate Baptist Seminary, I started a filing system arranged by the canon of scripture and by topics. Over the years, I have filled, filed all of my teaching and sermon notes and materials from sources such as your ministry. Yesterday, I filed a card, Zeal for Christ, from 1 Peter 3.12, from a series of lessons I taught on 1 Peter last spring. This turned out to be the last entry in my topical file. I thought, I wonder what my first entry was in this file system started 40 years ago. When I looked for the first entry, I found Abide in Christ. After all these 40 years, this is the theme running through my life. Yes, in the middle, you'll find a card for disappointment, and you'll find a card for suffering. But the bookends are the glue that hold it all together. Abide in Christ, zeal for Christ. I have a card, Servant Spirit, from a teaching that you, Dr. Sequera, did on Jesus washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. This has forever shaped my life, and I thank you again for your life-giving ministry to me. And so the compelling vision that my pastor gave to me 40 years ago was about having a serving spirit. So I want to go through just this quickly with you. So a serving spirit is serving, putting others ahead of yourself, sensing, responding to the needs of others. So when Jesus came in to that Last Supper, he sensed that his disciples' feet needed to be washed. Stooping, Jesus stooped down to wash the disciples' feet. Submitting, Peter at first, reluctant, so, oh Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I do not wash your feet, you have none of me. And then Peter said, oh Lord, not my feet, but all of me. And Peter submitted. Submission is a part of the larger mission. If you hear those two words, sub means under and mission is the larger part. And then number five, saying. They talked among themselves. You know that famous question, is it I? 
He said, one of you is going to betray me. And you can visualize that picture of Leonardo da Vinci and all of them sitting at a rather uh, middle-aged table, uh, ages table, and they're saying to themselves, is it I? And this is our opportunity as a congregation to talk among ourselves. Do we, in fact, have a compelling vision for the next generation? And so they were saying and talking among themselves. Number six, setting an example. They became a model for others. The most unlikely person to preach the day of Pentecost was Peter. And yet, from what he experienced by having a servant spirit, God exalted him on the day of Pentecost. And then finally singing. As they were leaving, they went out singing. And that's why every service we conclude with a hymn or a song. That, that is part of our DNA as God's serving people. We are a rejoicing people. So a compelling vision is something that forever shapes our lives and moves us forward. And that's my prayer for us. Let's pray. And as Mary comes to the piano, I'm going to have her just start our last hymn. But would you just be in an attitude of prayer as Mary prays and ask, Lord, what are you saying to me? Would you ask, Lord, what are you saying to us?